Testing, testing. Yep, this looks good. Be that loud forever. Hey, everybody. That's too loud now. You overdid it. <laughs> you done? <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Live from the Mundangerous Situation Room in New York City, I'm your host Shane. And I'm your host Ishan. And welcome to episode 97 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours. In this episode, we're talking about going old school and using a battle map in your game. But first, the rogue traders arrive on a brave new world in the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign. And later, the battle mapster drains your wet erase markers in the character creation forge. So, friendly reminder, TP t-shirts are available on TeePublic. I think they're 20 bucks still. And they're beautiful as always. Um, also, Wizards of the Coast has announced a new adventure as of today, as we record this. So, uh, a week ago, yes. as you listen. Tomb of Annihilation! Yeah, featuring Aserarach, who was the demi-lich that built the Tomb of Horrors. Yeah, and then like was in it, hanging out, waiting for you. Because remember, that was Greyhawk. And that's what liches do in Greyhawk. Right. Well, now a Sararak is in Chult. Okay. Sure. Which is apparently a place in Forgotten Realms. You know what? I bet it's his simulacrum. Yeah. I, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> I, I I don't care. Well, you know what we do care about? Uh, our own campaigns? Yes. But we also care about our listeners. Oh, and doing stuff for them that they've been asking for for two years? Yeah, yeah, that's it. Okay. Speaking of two years, we are fast creeping up on episode 100, just a few weeks away. And to thank all of you who have been listening for this long, and also to thank those of you who have just started listening to us, we are releasing some bonus content. Yeah, so we dug through our email archives and our Gchat archives. <laughs> <laughs> and found all of our discussions as I entered the Morning Glory campaign, as I entered our, our Eberron campaign, and how we built Bran's backstory and his mechanical build um, leading through to actually when he switched from being a loyal clerical inquisitor to thinking he was the vessel of Sybaris. He probably was. Uh, who knows? Yeah. Yeah, it's funny looking back at that because that was also the time that you joined the group in the first place. So, like, we had just met and we're having these email conversations where I'm saying, hey, this is Eberron, which you know nothing about. Which you think is Ravenloft <laughs> <laughs> because you haven't played games in a long time. <laughs> so, Shane, if that is your real name, I guess, who I found on Reddit, why don't you look at this info and you know come up with a character concept and we'll talk about it a whole whole bunch yeah like twelve thousand words worth uh twenty five thousand words well that's total before you even showed up for the first game eight thousand words right okay there you go it was ridiculous but i think i was at a job where i had checked out <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you had a lot of free time. Right. <laughs> if you look at the like the timestamps on these messages, it's like, oh, huh, there's a lot of like late afternoon email. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then it's like five o'clock. Bye. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so we've compiled all of that. We've made it all pretty easy to read. We've annotated it and added a bunch of notes so you actually understand what in the hell is going on. And the very first part of that is available right now uh, at Tribality. Very good friend of the show, Sean Ellsworth, has posted that for us. Yeah, and we're going to have one or two more installments on Tribality. Mm -hmm. We'll definitely publish through Brand's first character sheet, mm -hmm. and it will conclude with the thing that I have been asked about most of all, Brand's actual character sheet. Yeah, we will eventually get there. And you'll see how the discussions about Eberron itself and the campaign and what the other players were playing and where the game was going really informed how Shane decided he wanted Brand to sort of express himself mechanically as a character. And like the information that I was feeding him to sort of push him either into or away from good and or bad decisions. Yeah. Into bad decisions, 
away from good decisions because right. that's the kind of GM I am. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> screw you, player. <laughs> away from overlapping characters, that's oh, for sure. Okay, maybe maybe that happened, yes. Hey, we've got someone doing that already. And I think with this new group, you'd like to stay in this new group, so maybe don't step on that guy's toes too much. Fair. All right, so check it out, and stay tuned to next week for part two. Yeah, link in the show notes. So speaking of our campaigns, Shane, where are we in the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign? So the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign is our Warhammer 40K Rogue Trader game played using Fantasy Flight Games Dark Heresy 2nd Edition rules. And the crew of the His Enduring Light has made their escape from a Dark Eldar trap. They have gotten back to their ship, and they have set a course for a nearby planet called Gauntlegrim, where they intend to drop off some of their passengers, some of their uh, rescued escapees, uh, for a hefty reward, they expect. Yeah, this is going to be really easy. Like, it's going to take maybe six or seven days to get there. No big deal. All we have to do is rely on our trusty navigator, Flair. And what did Flair do? He f***ed it up. He fethed it up. <laughs> right. Sorry, 40K. They don't swear anymore. <laughs> no. They got their own words. <laughs> so, 19 days later, <sighs> after uh, an extended trip. In the warp. Right. Right, surrounded by demons. This mm-hmm. is Topsy and Turvey's first warp trip. Right. <laughs> I, I think to stabilize them a bit, you uh, inducted them into Company 6, which has been lovingly dubbed the Cannon Fodder. Oh, uh, yeah. Because mm-hmm. I think you said, they must be special. Let's stress them and see if their powers manifest. <laughs> <laughs> it was basically the Gum Jabbar. <laughs> a very Deadpool approach. <laughs> So, after 19 days, you do arrive in the Gauntlegrim system and enter its orbit and make Vox contact. And uh, you are instructed to land in the uh, largest settlement on the planet called Liana's Port. It's a relatively normal Imperial interaction. So, um, expecting a bit of a landing ceremony, you hop in the gun cutter, which has... um, well, if you recall, you gave one of your cargo bays over to the orcs. Yeah. Which maybe had the gun cutter in it. So they painted it red because red ones go faster. Well, it, it totally went faster. And uh, Jim Jar was kind enough to paint its name on the side. Not the hostile negotiator, the Hostel negotiator. H O Z T U L. Yeah, it's charming. Mm-hmm. Very diplomatic. Yep. Yeah, fortunately, we're on a mud ball of a planet, and I doubt any of these savages can read. Right. So, you hop in the gun cutter with your honor guard and uh, Flair's retinue, and you head planet side. And there, you are greeted by, to your surprise perhaps, uh, the Imperial Guard. Uh, a colonel by the name of Sturm, and the Duke of Leanna's Port. Dorn Fenris, and with all the appropriate pomp and circumstance, which you fumble through, your attendance is requested at a dinner that evening. Yeah, so why was it that the IG was there in the first place? I thought this was a feudal world. It was a feudal world. Ah. It is a feudal world. Uh, It's a feudal world, as you know, with an orc problem. Oh. (laughs) Well, when you're dealing with orcs... Throw bodies at them. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, you are told that you will be attending the state dinner, uh, which will welcome you to the city formally. uh, Because as representatives of a rogue trader, you guys are basically nobility. Um, The fact that your own rogue trader isn't accompanying you probably just adds to the mystique. But they'll host you for dinner that night, and that leaves you with an afternoon free. So you guys basically split up. the more military-minded of you, so Draco and Trix. Well, maybe not Trix, actually. Yeah, not Trix. I, I think he, he wanted to indulge. Right. <laughs> uh, Draco, Trank, and honestly, probably Doc. Yeah. yeah. You guys headed out to uh, the Tactica and met Colonel Sturm and his commissar, Commissar Herc, to discuss the situation. Commissar Jerk, Yeah, as we'll see. <laughs> uh, the rest of them sought out a shady merchant in order to make a deal because as you recall 
your original reason for setting out in the warp before you got waylaid by Dark Eldar and accidentally arrived at Gontogrim was to find agricultural equipment to send to Nova Bella in exchange for the ration bars that they will produce in excess of their Imperial Tithe. Yeah, we gotta make some deals. I don't know that this is the place to do it, because this planet sucks. <laughs> it's, it seems like a pretty nice planet, actually. I mean, it's... It, it, it's gotten a bit of an orc problem. I don't know if you knew that. It does have a bit of an orc yeah. problem, but I mean, in, in terms of feudal worlds, it, it has quite the... <laughs> Quite the imperial majesty. If See, you will. that's the problem. All feudal worlds are terrible. <laughs> I'm from a Trank is from a garden world, which is uh well paradise basically. They're Eden planets. Yeah, that's true. Every world is terrible compared to Feralis, your home world. God. So we've learned that the imperial guard uh, here are actually reliant on the resources of the local Gontelgrim Planetary Defense Force, which is sort of like IG Light. Yeah, like uh, local cops to the IG's stadies. More like lo- local militia compared to... To the IG's marines. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and as a feudal world, they have very feudal tactics. So uh, you know, for example, that Eldith, the shield maiden that you rescued... Uh, shield maiden is a rather literal term. Uh, they, they train to fight the orcs hand-to-hand. Yeah, in like a long row, like in Braveheart. Yeah, <laughs> which <laughs> it's kind of like fighting cavalry. <laughs> so they're they're not doing well. They've uh, ceded hundreds of kilometers of fertile farmland and foothills to the orcs, who of course aren't doing anything useful with it except ceding it with their horrible spores. Right. Uh, and then they're, they've also been raided by the Dark Eldar, which is how the captives arrived on the uh, ship that you encountered the Dark Eldar on. Yeah, they were actually hoping that they were going to get resupplied. <laughs> Silly. <laughs> Hope leads to Zinch. Right. <laughs> so the Imperial Guard are there to bring their tactics into the modern era and you know reinforce them but not with the full manpower of the imperial guard but rather with the fighting expertise the modern quality tactics of how to waste manpower Uh, also apparently how to waste an entire imperial navy frigate yeah (laughs) (laughs) and thus bring weapons onto the planet that will allow for those tactics so imperial guardsmen fight with las guns they fight from trenches. They definitely don't fight in hand-to-hand combat with orcs, so that'll be a nice little shift. I do remember, though, that we did we were able to bring them a few weapons that we had found on the gun cutter. Right. Like, and by few, I mean crates and crates and crates of las guns. Of las locks. Oh, ooh, those are terrible. Yeah, they're they're like muskets. Yeah, they're like laser mus- muskets, muzzle-loading <laughs> las guns. Yeah. <laughs> But still, a single lash shot is better than no lash shots at all. Right, than a dagger. Right. <laughs> <laughs> this is my best ranged weapon. Right. <laughs> An atlatl. So, you know, it's incremental improvements here, but seeing as you didn't recover uh, any of the equipment that they were really expecting, they do have an idea of how you can help them. And we'll find out what that terrible idea is next week. So it's fitting that you are headed into the fronts in the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign because this week we're talking about using battle maps. These days, uh, theater of the mind is really what's what's popular. And, and that is simply describing uh, the way terrain w- looks or the way the battlefield looks or the placement of buildings and enemies and the PCs themselves, you know. Old school players will remember before third edition really sort of started rolling out battle maps. You just say, okay, I run toward the enemies and the GM would be like, okay, well, here's how far you get and here's how many more rounds you think it'll take for you to get there. Right. Uh, But with the advent of third edition and then definitely fourth edition D&D, everyone started playing on these uh, little grids. Mm -hmm. And well, it certainly made things in some ways much, much easier and in some ways so much more complicated. Yeah, so this isn't a uh, a bashing of theater of the mind because I think we probably use more theater of the mind nowadays than we do battle maps. But 
we certainly use both. Yeah, and I think that there's a certain kind of RPG purist who sort of looks down their nose at using a battle map. But historically speaking, RPGs grew out of miniatures war games in the first place, which are all basically just maps. There's hardly any characterization. Right. Like, I don't know a lot of people who play D&D these, these days with a tape measure. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and like string and, you know, drawing out radii. Although some, that could that could be fun for, you know, drawing fireballs. That could be doable. Yeah. I mean, there's no reason that you need a, a grid. You know, the grid just avoids having to measure. Well, actually, so let's get into that. Why is it that some people really do enjoy using a battle map? And why is it that a game like 4th Edition pretty much required it? Personally, I like the tactile sensation of moving my miniatures. I like the the people huddled over the table and like counting squares and trying to figure out if I can reach and and can I do this and will this move work and all these different, you know, how do I position my cone of cold so that I capture everybody that I need to, but I only hit the barbarian because he could probably make the save. Yeah, it feels good, man. Yeah. <laughs> also, it gives you an opportunity to spend all that time like uh, browsing online or standing at the like RPG shop picking out a mini that looks exactly like your character. I know. Yeah, and with like Hero Forge now, you can literally customize every little detail. Right. And then like finding just the right person to paint it for you or painting it yourself. Right. Um, it also gives you a much more precise representation of the situation the PCs are in. Yeah, how many times have you been standing there arguing with another player or with your GM about where you were or whether you were behind the table or like how you obviously should have been able to see those goblins because they're right in front of you? No, I didn't say they're right in front of you. I said they're next to you, but there's half cover in between you, and I described the the low bookshelf. Well, if it was on the map or represented by, you know, small pieces of wood or whatever everyone would have to agree like it's right there right and then as we mentioned certain systems assume that you have a map so they've built their mechanics around utilizing it right fourth edition D being by far the biggest game that did that but um you know fourth ed- anything built on that engine so fourth edition gamma world those games seriously lack for not having it because the tactical choices that you make are relying on visual representation it is very difficult to mark something mentally (laughs) yeah and theater of the mind for example there's not a huge difference between something that has like a 20 a spell that has like a 20 foot radius and a 25 foot radius you know you just say oh well is that is the enemy near or far and like they're in it or they're not in it right but on a battle map that five foot difference is is huge because it's like an additional what sixteen squares right. on the map, right? Or like uh, you know, if you're running across a a misty battlefield, hey, can I hide in a fog bank? Well, if you have a battle map, you should see the fog banks on the map. If you don't, it's like sure or yeah, high or low, right? Is there a fog bank you can get to? <laughs> like, is there is there enough musket smoke <laughs> obscuring the way? I think also for a certain type of player, the visual spectacle of the map itself has a real allure. And and particularly, I think, for old War Games players, like, I've certainly stood in awe of, like, a five foot by ten foot, like, wooden piece of terrain with minis all over it, right? And then, like painted trees and things like that dwarven forge yeah um, <laughs> if, if you can afford to shell out for yeah, it it's beautiful um i mean actually half the instagram accounts that we follow are like people with amazing terrain yep. for their home games and yep. i'm just like i forget this forget this group i want to play in that group yeah or, or watch the um the pack streaming of acquisitions inc yeah from, like any year and they they do those like incredibly detailed layouts of one of the set pieces and it's like wow i mean that would be amazing to see our characters on there right but even uh if you're doing it yourself like when i was uh doing battle maps for morning glory usually i would just like download a battle map like a pretty battle map someone had made and then like make edits to it in photoshop and then print it out uh, my wife's a graphic designer so we had like a nice borderless printer and there's just something amazing about 
describing the battle that's coming and then you say roll initiative and then like you clear a space and just roll out this map with all this terrain on it that you've described and just to see your player's eyes sort of widen and go oh no right (laughs) (laughs) or or when you bust out that uh, gargantuan sized dragon mini Mm -hmm. you know that cost eighty dollars to buy and like you pull it off the shelf and set it on the map and it's like Oh, this got real. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, this is a boss fight. The very final session of my first 4E game, uh, the GM, he, he at the time he was working at Kinko, so his battle maps were always amazing. At the time, Kinko's existed. <laughs> <laughs> he, he like, had a box off to the side, and then, like, we run into the, 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 the giant temple, you know, and the map is huge. And he pulls out this like two foot tall Orcus mini. I've I've never been so dumbfounded by like the beginning of a battle because we have the, you know our tiny one and a half inch minis, yeah. And then there's just giant demon god, right? That we're about to try to kill. <laughs> and that's that's the kind of thing where if you're playing in a game store, or you're at a convention, and you see that on a table, like you're gonna notice it passing by, and like probably stop to see what's up. Yeah, you know, it 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 draws attention, right? In a in a positive way. It also keeps um Wizards of the Coast and companies that make minis like that in business. Yeah, WizKids would not exist on Mage Knight. <laughs> Bringing it down a little more tactically, having a visual representation also reminds players of the lay of the land. The challenge of Theater of the Mind is keeping all of the important details in your head while thinking about what your character would do. But if you put that on the map, you can see, you know, oh, there's furniture over there. Oh, there's a fog cloud here. Oh, that's where the entangle spell went off, and now I can't cross through that, right? So um, you can see there's a pillar that you can hide behind for cover, and those those kind of elements that you might not have been able to internalize theater of the mind. Yeah, and some players really love to be able to take that into consideration and play very tactically. Right. You know, because maybe there is just like a narrow 10 foot gap between like the stinking cloud and like the cover of the trees, you know, then you need to thread that needle. Well, with the map, you just count how far it is to get there. Yep. Or you've got the, uh, you know, oh, is that Brazier that's drawn on that map? Is that. A real fiery brazier because I'm pushing that over. It is now. Yeah, <laughs> he's standing next to. That. Yeah, I'm pushing that over. <laughs> that was always my favorite part about poaching battle maps from online. It was like if there's a feature in there that was like too hard to Photoshop out. I was just like, well, that's there now. <laughs> right. <laughs> Big glowing rock. Yep, it's a uh, cursed. Yep. <laughs> All right, so. I think at some point, almost every group uses a battle map. So when you do, what are some like best practices? So miniatures, for one. Yeah, if you're going to have a map, you may as well have some sort of marker yeah. to show where the PCs are. Yeah, and they don't have to be actual miniatures, though actual miniatures are very cool. And we're, we're lucky that um, one of our players apparently took full advantage of borders going out of business and just bought every pack of D&D minis because Angelo and Susie just have bags and bags and bags of 4th edition miniatures. Yeah, uh, they used to be the hosts for a game and when I was running Morning Glory, I loved showing up and they had them all arranged in different Ziploc bags. So yeah. it was like, oh, you need the, the undead humanoids? Okay, they're over there. And I was like, right. okay, well now I need the half-elves. Okay, well they're over there. <laughs> T- toss me aberrations and elementals, please. <laughs> uh. <laughs> right, and I loved being like, at the beginning of a session, before we even started playing, I was, everyone would be there and I'd be like, yeah, uh, give me the giants. Right. <laughs> <laughs> also beholders. <laughs> Likewise, I have a collection of 40K miniatures that... Uh, 40K and Lord of the Rings miniatures, actually. They're basically the same thing. Yeah, so so we get to use those miniatures for the Rogue Trader game. But, uh, I'm always an ultramarine, no matter what. <laughs> right. <laughs> Scout. I'm the blue one. <laughs> I'm a big, blue, perfect boy. <laughs> I look like Mega Man. Um, but you know I mean miniatures are expensive any way you cut it so there's plenty of alternatives Uh, as you mentioned Ishan you can just use 
tokens or any movable marker skittles if you have to or i mean even just drawing on the map with a pen mm-hmm. um your dice yeah dice are good um especially not necessarily for um something like a pc but like i mean for my flaming sphere i i i put a red a red d6 right on the table you know that's much easier than anything else yep um paper tokens that you can easily print out yep uh, or even you know if you really want to get fancy you can like tape them to a cardboard circle and that gives them a little bit of depth yep and you can also repurpose minis from other games like we use 40k minis for a 40k game but it's not like i have more than just space marines so it's always space marines fighting space marines (laughs) yeah and as long as they're like uh, the same general size you'll be all right and if you're printing your own battle maps then all you need to do is sort of adjust the the zoom, the size that you're printing at, right. so that it's not maybe not necessarily a one inch grid, but like a one point two five inch grid, which is super handy if you're using hero clicks, right? <laughs> because hero clicks do not have one inch bases. No, <laughs> but we also use hero clicks on occasion. <laughs> yep, especially when we're playing superhero games. Yeah. Well, the nice thing is that hero clicks are super cheap to buy in bulk. So when Steph was running Mutants and Mastermind, she just bought like $50 worth on eBay and now we have just a bucket of them. Of course, then what happens is you sort of dump them on the table and everyone's like, okay, I want one that looks exactly exactly like like my superhero. (laughs) (laughs) And actually, that's a big problem with minis is that there aren't enough female characters. You'll often have like, oh, okay, well, we got lots of paladins and rogues and mages and dwarves, but like every dwarf has a beard. Yep. And is, has male pattern baldness. Right. <laughs> and no shirt, so those are definitely dude nipples. Yeah, or you get the um, like the mini runs on Kickstarter where it's like, stretch goal, females. Right. Oh, God. Wonderful. Can't imagine why I would back this if yeah. I were a woman. Or or what you're left with is uh, drow. Right? Like, <laughs> yeah. like drow in... Skimpy outfits, yeah. G-string made of chain, yeah, with the leather whip. It's cool I was playing a dominatrix anyway. Obviously. That's my superpower. Uh, 4E Gamma World had some really good tokens as well. Yeah, good generic sci-fi tokens. So, how about prepping for a, a battle map game, a battle map fight? So, you mentioned, Ishan, that you like to use pre-made, which I uh, basically never do. <laughs> so, what are some things that you do when you're when you're pulling pre-made battle maps? Steel. I would definitely steal. <laughs> uh, there are a ton of pre-made battle maps on DeviantArt, on Pinterest, uh, just Google searches, like a Google image search. Um, if you've got the funding for it, I highly recommend going to someplace like you know RPG Now, Drive Through RPG, and like buying them because they're they're actually really inexpensive. And you can get like very generic ones or even like ones that absolutely fit to a T the scene that you're trying to create for like $2, yeah. $4, yep. you know? And then you just print it yourself at home um, or, you know, you go to a Kinko's, I guess. FedEx office now. <laughs> or I'll tell you, I'm sure a lot of you are in college. Uh, go to the library. <laughs> yeah, or the like the visual design lab. Yeah, and I'll tell you, I'm sure a lot of you are working um, just print it at the office. Yep. <laughs> They're not going to notice. Right. <laughs> um, one thing that is really good to do if you're using like a map out of an adventure, something like that, um, even if it's like a, a pullout insert, uh, make a photocopy mm-hmm. because maps tend to get torn up by drinks spilling on them or markers or whatever. So just use a photocopy if it's a, if it's a published thing um, or laminate. That's another thing. If you have access to a laminator, um, it's really cool if you can add that because then you don't have to worry about it. Yeah, I would definitely like you print out the nice, pretty one that you're actually going to play on, and then I would like print a small, just on an eight and a half by eleven black and white copy of it, just for me, so like I could look at it or I could mark secret things on it. Yeah, or whatever. Um, the other, if you have a setup, like if you I don't know, live in the suburbs and you like you play in a basement or something like that, or if you have an area that's totally dedicated to RPGs, you can buy like for like almost no money, very large, um, like thick plexiglass. Yeah. Uh, then you put the map down, place that on top of it, and then you know if something spills, it's no big deal, and it's actually very easy to sort of move things on it. And you can even like have your food on it as well, and it's fine; it doesn't mess up the map. Right. 
And then when you're looking to pick a map, look for the most visually interesting, tactically interesting, evocative maps that you can find. Because if you're paying for it or not, right? I mean, better make it interesting. This is your chance. And and you're going through the trouble of printing and prepping it and everything. You might as well get the coolest map you can find. Right. Um, You're only going to use a given map. Like if you're printing it out yourself and you're not laminating it, you're only going to use a given map one time. Right. So go ahead and use it. You know, what I would do sometimes if I printed out uh, a map of a building that I knew, or even a dungeon that I knew the party was going to be searching room by room, I would actually cut it up into different rooms mm-hmm. and I would just place the one room, right? Yeah. And then once they open a door, then the room that that door opens into, that gets placed. Yeah, there was nothing more fun than watching you go through your file folder. <laughs> <laughs> looking for the next page of the, of the dungeon. It was numbered. It was numbered. Where's room number six? Yeah. <laughs> wait, it's here somewhere. Hang on. Come on. Wait, wait. Give me, give me a second. <laughs> the other thing you mentioned at the top is reflavoring objects on the map. You know, if you can't find the perfect one for what you're looking for, but it's tactically interesting, just take a glowing object on the map and declare it something else, right? right. The, That's a bucket of blood. Right. The dragon statue in the center is the altar, uh, not an actual statue. Maybe it turns out that this is now a dragon-worshipping cult. Right. Why not? Uh, but also remember, because you're only... It's this one-time-use map, like, you can print out any other feature or object from any other map. It doesn't really matter, right? Or photocopy or whatever cut it out with some scissors and just, just place it, it on top. right on top of it. Yeah. Yep. yep. Done. So the other approach rather than getting your map pre-made is to just draw it on the fly. And this is something that we do uh, quite a bit because we have one of those large Chessex maps that has a grid on one side and a hex on the other and it's a uh, wet erase. So we just use the old vis-a-vis markers and, uh, and draw our situations. Yeah, if you use battle maps relatively often, I highly recommend just getting one of those Chess X maps. Yeah, they're like 30 bucks. Right, and they roll out, and they last forever. Uh, They're really durable. They're easy to clean. And you're going to want them because you can't always predict when and where your players are going to get into a fight. Right. So, like, if you ever do random encounters or if you just know that, like, okay, I guess we're having an encounter now because they've they've pushed this and this is going to happen well you didn't have time to print one out so you need to roll out the chess x map and start drawing it yep and so when you do that it's important to kind of balance the amount of time it takes you to draw it with the visual accuracy (laughs) right like you don't want to spend 15 minutes drawing your map because it's not that important but you do want to make sure that you put some interesting features on the map so that you know if you're going through the trouble of building a tactical encounter that you have a tactical encounter before the players right uh, there's no point in rolling out a map if it's just going to be two sides running straight at each other and engaged in melee combat 1v1 across the board right, right. so just start speckling in some terrain features right. here's a rock and this is 20 feet up and here's a tree and because you know that's how natural terrain works it's sort of haphazard put right. a lake in it whatever right or what i like to do is solicit input from the players right so you've described the scene and you have agreed that this will be a fight as you're drawing the map ask the players what does your character see what does your character notice about the terrain right and they say oh well there's a stream running through the middle of it with a rickety bridge okay cool so like now i'm going to draw the stream with a rickety bridge in it great that's a that's a terrain element that will not matter at all uh in terms of the difficulty but it will make it a little bit more interesting uh shane I see thick stone walls around my position with uh, crenellations. Perfect. Actually, with um, like a arrow, arrow slits that I'm firing out of. I have full cover. Great. Sweet. So do the enemies. <laughs> what? No, yeah. no, I don't see that. Well, yeah, no, I know. Because you're, 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 you're too focused on your beautiful hiding spot. Oh. So, and that's, that's the thing, right? Is Obviously, you have veto power, right? Um, yes, you might be in that position, but it's the ruins of an old fort. Um, you you don't really get full cover from it. You're maybe in half cover, and it turns out the whole the whole battle map is is bits of ruin. Uh, so there's bits of cover all over the map. The other option, um, and remember, we are big fans of anything that lets a GM be lazy, mm-hmm. is let slash make your players draw the map themselves. 
this is especially good when they are the ones forcing the encounter in the first place, right? So, okay, we are going to waylay the caravan and steal the goods. Well, great. You pick where that's going to happen. Draw yep. it. Yep. Or um, they're hiding in their little headquarters and the alarm goes off. Uh, they're under attack. Okay. Where in your headquarters are you going to mount your defense? Mm-hmm. Draw your panic room. <laughs> <laughs> you can make it as defensible as you'd like because this is your space. Yes. Make it as difficult for you to get out as you like. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> sure would hate for those defenses to get hacked. <laughs> Because <laughs> you can't draw a firewall. <laughs> lasers, huh? Okay, yeah. Yeah, you got lasers. <laughs> uh, I used this approach when, in Morning Glory, the party had decided to finally use uh, Nistrum Shadar's true name to summon him and then finally kill him. Mm-hmm. You guys made weird terrain. <laughs> <laughs> we so we were so taken aback by this. We were like, "What's the trap? What can we do? How what, how is he going to screw us with this?" Okay, fine. We're going to summon him into a pit of acid. Right. That was our best guess. <laughs> we're going to force cage him in a pit of acid. And and Susie was like, "Uh, I'm going to turn into a flump." Yeah, I was like, "Oh, I'll have a coke." <laughs> and I'm going to I'm also going to build a house for me. And you guys were, like, level 18 at this point. So, honestly, if she wanted to, like, use a third-level spell to make a house, she could do that. Yeah. Yeah. And then we were like, and we'll, like, fell some trees to make half cover for us. Yeah. So, so we're in cover. We'll, it was we'll hide behind the trees when the 10,000-year-old demon shows up. Yeah. Uh, wish we had known that was coming. <laughs> <laughs> Our plan worked, by the way. <laughs> you did succeed eventually. We, we definitely force caged him in acid. Yes. You ruined his very fine clothing. Yeah. Well. Yeah. <laughs> As a GM, it's also nice to just sort of like, you know, throw the markers at them and be like, you see how easy it is. Yeah. Just exactly. come up with terrain on the fly. <laughs> right. <laughs> That doesn't look anything like a tree. What are you talking about? That's a shrub. <laughs> right. <laughs> you think you're such a great artist? You draw it. And then, of course, it turns out they're actually a great artist. Yeah, yeah. No, with my luck. <laughs> but then everyone benefits. So how about actually running encounters on a battle map? Like you said, there's no point in going through all the trouble of making a map if the combat is just going to be composed of one side runs up to the other side and then hits them with swords and then the other side also hits them with swords. Right. Like that is the easiest thing to do theater of the mind. Yeah. You, you shouldn't be playing checkers. Right. Although, I mean, if you're le- leaping over people, that might be pretty cool. Eh, fair enough. So you want to add tactical challenges to the terrain and to the encounter itself. Yeah, so one thing I really like to do is to change the battlefield mid-fight. So things like fireballs setting a library on fire, right? Or a frag grenade destroys or creates new cover. Or, you know, a mortar drops and that crater is now deep enough that you can uh, get half cover. That sort of stuff. Yeah, that was always one of my favorite things of actually using the drawn map. Because I would just be like, well you know grab the the red marker and be like well that's fire and that's fire yeah. and that one's also fire right <laughs> which is a little bit harder on something that you pre-printed especially like you know you have a tavern right and there's furniture everywhere right and it's like well all of this is smashed yeah <laughs> just x that out right <laughs> this is splintered wood right uh, you're not fighting vampire so that's not very helpful right uh, also, you know, anything that creates obscuring effects like fog clouds or smoke uh, are good to visually represent. And then all of the difficult or obscuring or hazardous terrain you want to write down uh, on the map as well. So if you've got the map, use those types of spells, right? Like Entangle is a good first level D&D spell to throw a little bit of challenge uh, after the characters have made their plan of how they're going to approach a fight. Yeah, if you're a player who's using a lot of spells that affect the terrain, what I liked to do when I knew we were using battle maps was I would make my own templates 
and not like I don't mean like a template for a fireball to see who I hit. I mean like I know I'm going to use entangle. That's a 15 foot by 15 foot area. So I would cut out like you know three inches by three inches, and then I would like draw. I would draw like vines on it, you know. And then when I cast it, you just sort of slip it under the minis, mm-hmm. and now everyone can see like that's my entangle. And of course, like by the time you're using this over a level or two, people are like, oh yeah. You don't even need to say I cast entangle. You just slip it under, and boom, there it is. Right. Keep in mind that wall spells and those types of effects will funnel the movement of both the NPCs and the PCs. So if you can use those, have those prepared uh, as you ready your encounters, think about those types of things to force the PCs to engage in the way that you want them to. Um, Also keep cover and reactive actions in mind. Reactions is probably a little too game specific, but things like opportunity attacks or um, any type of readied action or overwatch, anything that will let you um, use the terrain and the movement around it as a sort of a, a trigger for doing things. Yeah, it's also an opportunity to let those PCs that have invested in different modes of movement really shine. Like if they have some way to fly or float um, or if they can move through objects, or even like a, a fifth edition rogue, w- which can you know use a bonus action to dash and then scramble over an embankment or something, and isn't really slowed down by that. Uh, presenting all those different types of difficult terrain really lets them use their abilities to the fullest. Yeah. And we always refer people to this, but it's a good episode. Uh, episode five, uh, alternative combat objectives, is uh, gives a lot of good ideas about what you can do to really sort of spice up um, a combat. Yeah, so it's good to draw a ledge so you can throw a princess off of it. Yeah, I always love throwing in like a you know hundred foot drop just somewhere. Yeah, you know it doesn't. If you're in a grassy plain, that's fine. It's just as it's on a cliff, right? <laughs> uh, the other thing you can do that's that doesn't work as well with theater of the mind is throw a ball into it, right? And not a literal ball, but some object that is possessed and needs to be recovered, so that it's not just about winning the fight; it's about actually using movement to get to the target, right? And so it, it brings a whole another tactical element that doesn't always get brought up on a map and you know like the rogues dash for example if you if you're faster than the target that gives you a chance to get to the ball easier right yeah it's very difficult to do like a capture the flag in theater of the mind without it coming across as very like deus ex machina right like on a battle map you can come up like just five feet short of your goal uh you're almost there but in theater of the mind if the gm says that that happens it's it's basically because they decided that should happen right it's also one of the few ways that you can really do an effective like a uh, sports game. Like uh, I I played like a D and D sort of blood bowl encounter mm-hmm. where we were basically like you know we were it wasn't a ball it was a dude's head yeah you know but <laughs> of course <laughs> but we needed to get it from like one end of the arena to the other end and like that's absolutely something that only really works on a battle map. Yeah, I mean any type of gladiatorial games right are yeah. perfect for for battle map use. So there's always some like edge cases that um, can be challenging uh, that you want to think about with battle maps. So I just kind of want to make sure we touch on some of those. So like flight, for example. Do you not have 3D battle maps? Do you not do that? I do not. Neither do I. Yeah. yeah. So usually what we do is we just set a mini on top of a die. And then like if we need to make a mark, if if altitude actually matters like we'll write it down beside it but generally it just means hey i'm not on the ground (laughs) but i'm not at risk of dying from falling either right i'm up right (laughs) i'm nine feet in the air (laughs) (laughs) until otherwise mentioned yeah and usually there's only like one person flying right so it's like oh okay how high are you flying exactly um hiding and invisibility are another thing that um work a little bit weird on the map you know particularly for npcs um because it's hard to hide information from the pcs if you're looking at a you know full fog of war free battle map so um i think for npcs the best way to do that is just to leave the mini in like the last known spot um let people know that that mini is hidden or invisible and then just mentally keep track of it or 
as you mentioned, if you have a second printout of your map, you can kind of mark it on there so you keep a rough idea. Mm-hmm. Also, like you're the GM, you can just remove the mini and be like, "Well, you don't you don't see it right now." Yeah, and you quote unquote mentally track where it is, right? And then it shows up <laughs> at an inopportune moment. <laughs> how did it get get? <laughs> you don't know how it got over there so quickly. Yeah, how do you handle PCs when they go invisible? I don't let them. <laughs> I immediately fireball them. <laughs> uh, oh, look. There, I hear the owl. Found you. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's sort of up to them because in that scenario, I, I sort of feel like the mini on the map is for the player's benefit. Right. You know, so if they would rather just leave them, it doesn't affect in-game where their character actually is, right? But certainly they're going to tell me in some way where they are and since i probably am playing all the bad guys like you tell me where you are and i will to the best of my abilities like play the enemies in a a relatively intelligent way but i'm certainly not going to just have them find them yeah yeah i would i would err on the side of generosity probably Mm -hmm. but force them to keep the mini on the map i think one thing we're seeing in online battle maps and you know playing games online in general is that you can obscure portions of the map you know this Mm -hmm. in video games is like the fog of war yeah and that's one thing that is actually really difficult to do with a physical battle map like you roll out the whole thing and like there it is and it's really hard to like take construction paper or something and like just cover the edges of it until the PCs actually get there. Right. And it's sort of the same thing with difficult terrain or certain kinds of cover or darkness or fog. It, it's it's still there. It's just hard to obscure it on the map without everything getting really complicated. Right. Yeah. So I think in general, we just try and mark it on the map somehow, whether mm-hmm. that's um, like you mentioned, a template for your entanglement spell or it's just drawing a green circle on the map and Xing it out right however you do that mark it on the map and just try and do the best you can <laughs> you yeah. know it's it's not going to be perfect uh when i'm choosing the kinds of effects that are going to happen um you know from the to the enemy's perspective i do find myself erring on the side of things that one don't move and two are long lasting yeah because that way i can just draw it on there and like for the rest of the encounter this is what's happening here yep you know i don't need to worry about the rolling cloud kill that's going to be elsewhere in three rounds right (laughs) and i don't need to worry about erasing it later exactly (laughs) Um, another thing that makes combats uh, visually and tactically interesting is variations in height of the battlefield right so whether that's multiple floors or ledges or uh, just large pits. Um, I think if if they're all in the same area, just try and make a note on the map of the of the height from some baseline and and leave it all visually on the same surface. Um, so like you know if you've got a balcony in a in a theater and that's where your firefight is is happening. Um, of course it's possible to go under the balcony and just keep track of who's under and who's on top, but show them both on the same map. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas like, I think if we, when we played the pirates game in fifth edition, I think the first fight actually was on, it was a ship to ship fight mm-hmm. and each ship had both a hold and a deck. So between ships, you had basically four pieces of map to fight on. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so to do that, right, we basically just, like, put an X on this map and an X on this map. And if you hit this X, you show up on this one, right? It's a magic portal that's called a stairwell. It's like uh, going uh, off the side in Pac-Man. Yeah. Right? Like, you <laughs> magically teleport over here. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's essentially like um, using a map that has, like, uh, multiple rooms. Right. You know, right. they just don't physically connect. And, like, a fireball over here doesn't affect this right over here because, obviously, they're not actually that adjacent. Exactly. So what are some times when you probably shouldn't be using a battle map? Well, I think when the first thing that should inform it is the rule set. So if the system you're playing uses range bands or has very loose tactics like um, Fate or Fantasy Flight Star Wars or Phoenix Dawn Command, like you don't gain much and you might actually lose some of the, the charm of the system if you're, you know, carefully plotting out 
the map. Yeah, those games are built around not needing the map uh, and not needing to know exactly like how close you are to something. It's right. either directly next to you, it is close by, it is far away. Right. Also, there are some encounters where tactical combat just really isn't the focus. It's not the purpose of having the fight. Yeah, so um, you mentioned dungeon exploration, but I think for the majority of our dungeon-like encounters that we run, um, we actually don't plot the dungeon on a map, right? We'll, we'll narrate the trip between the rooms that lead to combat, but we won't draw, you know, the 50-foot-long 50, 50 hallway on our map leads to a room that's 20 by 20, right? Like, you won't see that unless there's something interesting happening in that room, and then we draw that room and play it out. Yeah, I think this is something that new players and then players of sort of old-school modules sometimes get tripped up by is that, you know, modules from the 80s have these very detailed maps. And part of the challenge as a player is tracking where you are in a, in a dungeon on a grid of your own making. Right, but right. I've definitely been in a situation where, like, I'm the GM, and, like, they're walking into the Caves of Chaos. Okay, well, I I, I draw the, like, 20-foot-long hallway, and then there's a T-intersection at the end. Which way do you go? Oh, you get to the end? Okay, wait, hold on. I have to draw this from the map. So, like, it just gets way too complicated. They They don't need to see that. Right. Especially if, like, there's not really anything there for them to see. Yep. You know, it's just, do you go left or right? Oh, you go left? Okay. Yeah. Do you open the door on the right or are you going straight? Yep. Um, and then there are definitely maps where that's not the case, right? And the Lost Minds of Fandelver, the very first, like, big dungeon, um, because of the way that the rooms interact in combat, like, it makes sense to draw them, and that's fine. Right, but that's a tactical encounter that's meant to be that way. Puzzles are another one that I generally don't want to draw on a battle map. Um, if I need a visual representation of a puzzle, like in a room, I, I don't want to put minis on it because I don't want to confuse the purpose for the players. Right, like you could draw a picture maybe, but like it doesn't really matter who is standing next to what particular lever. Right. If something's going to happen, then you know you ask who's standing close to you. Yeah, are you pulling the lever? Okay, cool. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's what happens then. <laughs> and then a lot of times in our games, we'll have these sort of stylized cinematic or like uh, minion fights, right? Where you're meant to spend resources more so than you are really be challenged. Um, and I know some games would say just don't have that encounter. Um, other games don't do that, right? But if it's a fight that's not meant to be a tactical challenge, don't bother making it a tactical challenge, right? Like, don't try and don't try and turn a 15-minute fight into a two-hour fight for no reason. Mm -hmm. I will say, though, maybe once, probably maximum twice in an entire campaign, it can be fun to just do a massive mini battle with that's basically against minions. Like, waves and waves and hordes of low HP enemies... Like if you actually take the time to set all of that up and then your players get the opportunity to say, okay, fireball. All right, well, every single one of them dies. Like pick out the minis in your giant circle of that swath of death and destruction you just carved out in there. Okay, put them over to the side. Now that's what that looks like. Yeah. You know, yep. and like you, you, your fighter gets the opportunity to literally, like physically wade into combat and just start mowing down enemies. Yep. Don't do that too often because, you know, it loses the impact and also it's a lot of work. It is. Uh, were you here for the session that we did that in the house? The Verzer house? The Verza house? No, I missed that one. Okay. Was, so that, was that hold the line? We did it in reverse. Yeah. You guys had the minions on your side against, oh, no, against right? very powerful enemies. <laughs> and it was very much like, do we have enough min Can we reinforce our minions enough right. to survive this fight? Um <laughs> And yeah, I mean, I think we inverted it, but it worked. Right, the it opposite. Really well. Oh, no. Yeah, like we're <laughs> we running out. <laughs> we just lost 11. Right. <laughs> um, and then the reality of using a map in minis is that there's a break between we agree there's a fight happening and, okay, let's start this fight, right? And it might take five minutes or it might take 15 minutes to get everything set up, but that setup breaks immersion uh, for a lot of players. So if your characters are totally immersed... 
and and like the game is rolling even if you had this elaborate tactical combat planned don't right keep keep the players going along with what's fun uh, i wouldn't force a map and minis into a game where the players aren't necessarily ready for that level of combat and that sort of feeds right into another reason when you might not want to use a battle map which is if you're just kind of feeling lazy like maybe you did plan out a big tactical combat but man you're three whiskeys deep you guys have been playing for four and a half hours (laughs) oh boy but we got to finish this combat you know what theater of the mind would be so much faster right (laughs) and and it has lower expectations in a lot of fights as well when you bust out the map in minis players have an expectation for how long and how challenging this is going to be yeah and also once something is on the table and on the map like it's there it's hard to forget about it right if you need to you know dial back the difficulty of the fight well maybe your description of the theater of the mind battle is only really like half the scale of what you had drawn on the map right (laughs) Let's ignore the cliff. There's no cliff. Right. Ignore those five squads in reserve. <laughs> <laughs> those are trees. Right. <laughs> so I think to wrap it up, Theater of the Mind is great, right? We love it. We play it an awful lot. But so is using a map. And there's a, a time and a place for both of them. Um, so you don't need to commit exclusively to one or the other. Yeah, it's great to mix it up. If it's been a while since you've used a map, break one out and people are going to perk up. Mm-hmm. And if you've been using a map for every single battle, go theater of the mind and people are really going to feel immersed. Right. Do you hear that, Ishan? That's me mowing down swaths of minions. Oh, but they're ours. Oh, no. Verser <laughs> <laughs> house. All right, let's move on to the character creation forge before we have to spoil too much more of the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign. <laughs> before we do that, let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us. We do love hearing from you. You can tweet at Shane, at Mundangerous, that's M-U-N Dangerous. And you can tweet at Ishan, at Evil Sans Carne, that's Malice Minus Meat. And you can tweet at the show, at TPTCast. You can also email us if you can't fit into 140 characters at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. And you can find us on the web at www.TotalPartyThrillCast.com. Com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Total Party Thrill. So this week in the Character Creation Forge, we are building the Battle Mapster. <laughs> We're funny. These puns. These <laughs> puns of mine. <laughs> okay, so the Battle Mapster is a master of situational awareness. And also the character that most relies on having a battle map available. <laughs> right. I need to know what's going on. Right. <laughs> This is your master of tactics who stands probably not that close to the actual melee scrum, uh, but can see everything that's going on and probably knows what the lay of the land before the battle actually begins and then is able to direct terrain-influencing spells where they're most needed. Yeah. Literally, we built this PC to take advantage of having a battle map available right so what are the things you could do with a battle map that are difficult to do with theater of the mind let's take advantage of all of those things with this character yeah so one of the things that happens is that map gets unrolled and you're like "Uh oh i gotta take it all in very quickly but what if you had a character that could get a sneak peek at the map before the gm rolls it out (laughs) all right what's the build (laughs) it is Arctic Land Druid 15. Okay. Chain Warlock 5. All right. So the Chain Warlock is the one that's tied to its familiar. That's right. So you are going to use what? Voice of the Chain Master? Yeah. That invocation lets you see through uh, the senses of your familiar anywhere on the same plane of existence. So not limited to 100 feet. And then you get the improved familiars as a chain warlock. So you will take an imp or a pseudo dragon, which can fly and is invisible, I believe. That's right. So, <laughs> so you will scout from hundreds of feet up in the air with your invisible 
uh, your invisible flying can see through magical darkness imp. Right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. <laughs> we did the math on this in Dark Sun actually because you had a familiar, but you don't have Voice of the Chainmaster, so right. that's limited to a hundred feet. But from a hundred feet up, it is seventeen miles to the horizon. Right. <laughs> which means you've got a, a diameter right of thirty-four miles. Right. And <laughs> I don't know that imps need to breathe, <laughs> so. <laughs> I don't know that there's a limit to how high it can go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you can see pretty good. Yeah. You'll be all right. Yeah. <laughs> and then Arctic Land Druid is interesting. I'm guessing we took this because of the spells, the the domain spells for the Land Druid. That's right. Arctic gets some pretty sweet spells for someone who likes to play with terrain. You get Spike Growth, Sleet Storm, Slow, uh, ice storm, all of which you know create or manipulate difficult terrain. You get freedom of movement, so you're not affected by the terrain that you create or one of your allies. That's right. You also get hold person, which means it's <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's uh, you, are you stuck in oh. a terrible wall of fire? Or take a very large enemy and make them cover. You also get um, the commune with nature spell which is sort of like having a a satellite, actually. Yeah, like, in like a three-mile radius. Three-mile radius, you can uh, find out the terrain or the buildings, or actually, you can find out the locations of mineral deposits, which I think we should use in a different yeah. character creation <laughs> forge. <laughs> the 49er, great. <laughs> Got there in 48. Right. <laughs> so... The druid, of course, also gets wild shape, and uh, at eight levels of druid, you can turn into a flying creature yourself, mm-hmm. which means that you don't really have to have your familiar do it for you. You can fly up in the sky, take a look down, and you know see what it what it is you need to see. However, I still like having the familiar because they they can actually stay with your party, right? And you can speak through their voice, so you can report directly back to your party, right? Uh, and then I think the top level spell that you're going to want to get to is Earthquake at level 8. Yeah, that's the terrain altering spell. <laughs> that's the one where you take your GM's map and you just throw it right out. Right, scribble, 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 <laughs> yeah, scribble. Exactly. <laughs> oh, you weren't planning to save this, were you? <laughs> Does this building have 50 hit points? It has 50 fewer. Right. <laughs> so even right off the bat, you get spells like Mold Earth which you can use to create or remove difficult terrain. Right. Or entangle, right? The most basic of all. That's right. Fog cloud. I love the idea of using water walk to just, you know, increase the amount of the map that you're allowed to use. (laughs) Control water lets you make floods. Wall of fire obviously is great to layer through the terrain because remember only one side of the wall of fire actually causes damage so you can actually use it to hurt enemies and protect allies at the same time and just sort of like draw a squiggly line almost like you know that snake game yeah (laughs) you can make some pretty crazy shapes with it right wall of stone obviously and the great thing about wall of stone of course is that it has out of combat uses because you concentrate for 10 minutes and hey guess what it's real right and permanent (laughs) Move Earth also lets you do some pretty crazy things. This is a character that can affect the field of combat while people are fighting on it. But if you get the opportunity to ambush someone or set up the terrain before you actually fight, you can do pretty much anything that you want. Right. And we're not reliant on race for this build, but if I can make a recommendation, the Earth Genasi uh, has Earthwalk, which allows her to move across difficult terrain made of earth or stone without spending extra movement. So you can effectively ignore it as long as you're in a natural environment. But since you're a druid, shouldn't be too hard to come by. I also love that you get past without trace. I don't want to mess up the very pretty work that I did. Right. <laughs> by leaving footprints. So Ishan, tell us about your battle mapster. I think... My battle mapster is um, kind of prissy, fidgety, doesn't like to get dirty, um, which sounds a little weird for a druid. Uh, but really, she uh, has been educated in some of the best war colleges. 
and understands that tactical combat is the most effective combat. And also knows that if you can stay far away from the actual fray, you don't need to get your clothes dirty. Although obviously she did take magic initiate in order to memorize prestidigitation so she could just clean her robes, right? But (laughs) just in general, her fascination with terrain came from the fact that when you're on a hike, maybe sometimes you don't want to have to climb a big hill. You just want there to be no hill. (laughs) Jeez. So the urban developer druid, if you will. There you go. Right. And of course, in combat, it turns out, hey, you know, you know what I learned uh, in landscape architecture school? It's uh, really applicable here as well. I've discovered. Nice. Yeah. What about your battle mapster? So we have an Arctic land druid, right? Mm-hmm. So would you say that he came from the land of the ice and the snow? Oh, I hate you. But yes. Yeah, so mine is kind of a Viking druid battle mage type. Uh, obviously, has to cross the the Great Sea on a boat. But once you arrive, you want to make sure that the land is hospitable, or at least inhospitable to your opponents, whomever it is that you'll be engaging uh, in axe-based combat. And that is where uh, the battle mapster comes in, because they bring all of the control of the land upon which you're landing. I really like the idea that you come from an inhospitable environment and you show up in a place and you're like, I'm going to make this like where I came from. I'm going to make this a lot worse. (laughs) You know what would really improve this? Damage. (laughs) If it were colder, there were less food. You people have all gotten fat and soft. (laughs) All right, now well, now we got to make Mr. Freeze. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. If you want to support the show, the easiest way to do that is to leave us a five-star review on iTunes. If you're willing to help us out, we'll read your five-star review on the air. You can also find us on Stitcher and Google Play. If you like or favorite us there, the algorithms will help other people find us. So what do we have planned for next week's episode? Oh, I'm so excited for this, and I think a lot of you are going to be really excited for this, too. We are continuing our series on campaign settings, and we are talking about, finally, Planescape. And in the Character Creation Forge, we're building Fall from Grace. Wait, we're building an NPC from a video game set in Planescape. Yes. Perfect. That's it for episode 97 of Total Party Thrill. I hope we've lived up to our name, but either way, I'm Shane. And I'm Ishan. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.